want to welcome you to Plum Creek Chapel tonight, and uh, great to be meeting in person once again. First time in uh, several weeks because of the weather, and we have had absolutely gorgeous weather uh, this week in Colorado. It's been uh, sunny and warm in the 50s and 60s, and was able to play outside with my granddaughter and just uh, really uh, enjoy it. So I'm sure winter is far from over. Um, but uh, at least we had nice uh, weather this week. So uh, we are going to uh, continue our study of how to read and understand the Bible and want to highlight a couple of things, uh, resources available for you this week. Yesterday, our uh, podcast on the Christian Underground News Network was all about Jesus Christ, the nucleus of all hope. And if you've not had a chance to listen to that, carve out some time to listen to it. It's only 40 minutes, a little bit shorter than usual, but man, it was just uplifting to look at so many scripture passages and to see, uh, you know, how, what real hope is versus the world's version of hope and where we can really find hope. And it was just encouraging, especially in times like, uh, like these. Uh, don't forget our Sunday uh, series, uh, What Lies Ahead. And I was telling uh, Judy before the service tonight that we are going to do something a little different Sunday. You guys will appreciate this. We're going to um, continue our study uh, with the next session uh, on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, but I'm also going to carve out a significant amount of time uh, to answer questions and dialogue and have some discussion about uh, world events and geopolitical events and all that's going on with Ukraine and Russia because I do believe that the players involved, uh, it's like, jumping off the pages of Scripture. When you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, for example, and the setting of the stage there with uh, Russia, obviously Magog is Russia, uh, and then uh, Turkey and Syria and some of the others. So uh, who's to say if this is the end game uh, in God's plan and we're headed into the end times? We won't know until after the rapture, but Jesus reminds us to... Uh, uh, look for the signs of the times, and so that's what we want to do. So I just, you know, I've been really looking into it a lot, having a lot of discussions offline with people that I respect, and I was up uh, last night talking to someone, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, who's got a lot of knowledge about this stuff, and I just thought, you know what, um, we need to cut through the propaganda and the media hype and what the narrative is and kind of, you know, Look at what it could be. Now, I don't have any inside information. It'll, you'll be delighted to know that I'm not in tight with the Luciferians, okay? <laughs> um, but, uh, but I do feel like um, we can make some reasonable speculations and, you know, come up with a few uh, possibilities of what, what it may really be about. Because remember, it's not about what it's about. It never is. And so they're wanting us to think Russia bad, Ukraine good, and let's go get the bad guys. And, um, of course, you know how quickly we forget that Ukraine was a cover for Biden and his whole regime's millions of dollars in business dealings and money uh, over there. You also forget about the fact that the U.S. allegedly had 11 bioweapons labs secretly hidden throughout Ukraine, seven of which were destroyed by missiles in the early days of the war. So it's never about what it's about. There's a lot of things going on. And... You know, when, you, when you've studied this stuff as long as I have and you start to hear the refrains on all the media and CNN, Fox News, it doesn't matter, then you begin to think, 
I don't really know what it's about, but it's not about that because they're all saying the same thing, and obviously that's part of uh, the whole uh, propaganda. So we're going to just talk about some of that um, on Sunday in the context of the second coming of the Lord and some of these uh, things that we've been uh, been talking about. So, But for tonight, I hope you brought your questions as well because um, I really intentionally didn't uh, prepare a whole lot of new stuff. Um, I wanted to spend our time reviewing what we've talked about. I guess I should say what I've talked about the last two weeks because it was all live stream only and kind of get your questions and feedback and comments and input on uh, these, uh, these topics. So uh, let's kind of dive in and talk first about uh, the kinds of prophetic fulfillment. What did you guys think about that as you if you've had a chance to watch the video or if you joined us by live stream, that was two weeks ago. Um, and I was trying to make the point that when it comes to prophecies in Scripture, there are only three options, in my view, as to how they can be fulfilled. Either direct fulfillment, prophecy comes true, done. Or partial fulfillment, prophecy, part of it's fulfilled, but the rest of it is still awaiting future fulfillment. Or this third category of analogical fulfillment where a New Testament writer under the inspiration of the Spirit takes a Old Testament prophecy and kind of applies it what at first pass might seem out of context to make a point. And we used uh, the fulfillment formulas in Matthew's Gospel as an illustration of that. So any thoughts on that? I don't want to put you on the spot or comments or questions. Part of my little brain just goes, you know what? There's two types of prophecy. Those that have been fulfilled and those are that are waiting to be fulfilled. And the other stuff, I mean, I, that's just kind of the way I separate it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a good comment. You know, in, in when you boil it down, there's really two kinds of prophecies, those that have been fulfilled and those that haven't. Uh, and I get that, but I guess this was coming from more of in Scripture, when the Bible talks about a prophecy, such as Matthew saying, this happened, that it might be fulfilled, what was spoken by the prophet, and then he lists the prophet's name, where do you put that? I mean, because it wouldn't fit into either of those categories, right? It's not a prophecy that is going to be fulfilled because he's announcing that it's fulfilled, and yet it doesn't really seem to have any connection to the prophet who originally said it and so we're we have to kind of define our terms and that's I'm glad you made that comment because if we're talking about the subject of prophecy obviously it's either has been fulfilled or going to be fulfilled like my 84 percent 16 percent paradigm that I've talked about um, that you know uh, two-thirds of the Bible is prophetic half of that has not been fulfilled that means that 16% of the Bible is unfulfilled prophecy. But I'm talking about from a biblical theology perspective, taking terms that are used in Scripture and trying to make sense of them and categorize them, and, and that's why we come up with this, these three kinds um, and, and gave examples. But anyway, yeah, that's a, that's a good, good comment. Anybody else? Yeah. Because sometimes when you, the, obviously the most difficult one to interpret or to look at and do it right is the analogical fulfillment and and the fact that they I guess what tr what's hard for me is sometimes when they're talking about it they don't say well here's this analogy 
They just they just say, well, here's this fulfillment, which which to me sounds like they're not being honest. But yeah, you know, so that's that's just it's just difficult to process. I understand that it's a thing they did. Um, I just sometimes I just wish it was easier to wrap my head around it. Yeah, so that's exactly the the, the normal reaction that that people have, and that I had too. It's like, how can Matthew say that a prophecy is being fulfilled? when clearly the prophecy he's quoting has nothing to do with what's happening in Matthew's day or in Jesus' day that Matthew was reporting on. Um, so that's why, and the reason I decided to start with this tonight, is that's, that's the answer to that tension goes to the very issue of literary genre, that the very nature of gospel literature is that it is, it's not rote reporting Oh, this happened, then this, then this, then Jesus went up to you know Damascus, and then he went to the Mount of Olives, and it's not rote reporting; it is telling a story. Now, it's true; it's all one hundred percent accurate, historically accurate, everything's accurate, like we talked about way back at the beginning of this series on the doctrine of infallibility and inerrancy. Um, but he's weaving together a story, and once you understand that then you can sort of take a second look at the way he's using the Old Testament and say, oh, he's trying to, to paint a picture. And to me, it really becomes clear um, when you see, and when I first read this, and a guy by the name of Charlie Dyer is the one who sort of put this together uh, in more detail, and I've kind of just summarized it here. But, you know, the Gospels, in at least Matthew's account, who's writing to a Jewish audience to prove that Jesus is legitimate, he's the real deal, he starts out with a reference to Egypt, and then he goes to the baptism, then he goes to the wilderness, and then he goes to a mountaintop experience where he's elaborating on the law. Well, that follows the same pattern of Israel as a nation. You know, they came out of Egypt, they were baptized, as it were, in the Red Sea, they spent time in the wilderness, and then they received the law on top of a mountain. And the, the, the idea there is any Jew who knows his history of Israel and, of course, knows the Old Testament scriptures would have seen this pattern and it would have struck a note of familiarity. And then they would have said, oh, I see where Israel failed, Jesus conquered, Jesus won. So it, it really, it, it, it's not your typical use of prophecy, you know. Now, some of it is, for example, when Jesus, I mean, when Matthew says uh, that the virgin birth was a fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14, it really was. But he is clearly taking liberties with the Old Testament text that we're not entitled to do because we're not writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why I think I mentioned in the uh, live stream that uh, one scholar calls this inspired census plenior and that word that phrase might sound kind of heady but census plenior in the study of how to study the bible is a big issue because that's the way people who don't agree with us on the literal grammatical historical approach that the plain normal meaning that that that, that tend to allegorize the scripture like thinking the church is israel that's the term that they use going all the way back to the Reformation for their methodology. They call it, well, I'm, I'm not just looking at the words on the page. I'm looking for the fuller sense. I want to find the deeper sense of the meaning. What does it really mean? What's the spiritualized meaning of these words? And so 
they're looking behind every event and phrase and sentence to find some spiritualized meaning. And in, in a real sense, you could say that's kind of what Matthew did, right? He takes a prophecy from Hosea or whoever it might be and completely adds new meaning to it. But the, the amazing thing about the construction of Scripture, which is, of course, 40 human authors over 1,500 years in three different languages, but all of them carried along by the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit, who is God, can do what he wants. So if he wants to sort of redefine a, a prophecy to apply it in a different sense, that's his prerogative. We can't turn right around and say, oh, well, if Matthew can do it, so can I. So I think this verse really means this. We don't have that luxury because we're not carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. False prophets have been talked about in Scripture. Can you address that? And what, what, what standard do we use to judge whether a prophecy is true or false? Yeah, great question. So I actually got an email. I, I haven't responded yet. It's flagged just this week. It must have been like Monday. And someone was asking sort of that question that, that they had listened to something uh, that we had talked about recently here and wanted to know about my comment that um, nobody today can stand up and claim, thus saith the Lord, I have a word from God. And I didn't remember really talking about this anytime in the recent past, so I'm kind of thinking they we're listening to or watching something that was a little a few weeks ago but I do remember talking about it and that goes to your question too so let's talk about that first of all what standard do we use when evaluating prophets the biblical standard and the biblical standard was you got to be a hundred percent accurate or off with your head so I always like to remind people who think they're prophets today well okay let's let's see if you meet the standard <laughs> Uh, so before you too quickly call yourself a prophet, let's look at what God's Word says about prophecy, which is you've got to be 100% accurate. Why? Because God's 100% accurate. God's not you know, batting 400 or 500 or even 900. He's batting 1,000 and always will because he's God. So a true prophet is never wrong. So um, what has happened, and this was true in the Old Testament times, the ancient Near East, it was true certainly in the first century. We're going to see in our study through Acts some shysters and false prophets and stuff and it's been true ever since um, that people will uh, claim to have some special revelatory insight that is authoritative and then stand up and proclaim it and get people to take action on it now when someone does that I always like to in my mind categorize them you know, into two different groups. On the one hand, you've got the people that are absolute frauds that are on, they know they're lying and they're only doing it to sell a product, gain a following, get people to give money, you know, whatever it is, you know, the, the true cults, if you will. But let's not forget that there are another, there's another class of people who, because of the theological culture in which they have uh, grown up in or maybe become a part of, they are more comfortable with sort of the spiritual side of things rather than the empirical and they don't have necessarily a nefarious motive they're just misled and so what i tried to dis distinguish um you know i wish the uh, i wish the person if you're if the person who emailed me is watching this 
email me so that I don't have to respond to your email, but uh, it'll save me time. But anyway, um, I hope they are. So what I tried to distinguish before in, when talking about prophets is it's one thing for us to, to feel the unction of the Holy Spirit to do something, perhaps even say something, to write an encouraging note. Um, and often we might not even, uh, you know, identify it as the Holy Spirit um, explicitly in our mind, but we, we feel led to do it. Like the perfect example is a year or more ago, Judy uh, heard uh, me on the Stand Up for the Truth radio, heard about Plum Creek Chapel, and felt, I don't want to say felt led because maybe you didn't, but for whatever reason, you wrote a letter, an old school letter with, you know, in script, I had to get someone to interpret it for me because it's been so long <laughs> since I've read a letter written in script. Uh, but anyway, now, you know, she might at the time have felt like, hey, I just feel led to do this. Is that the way you felt? Um, you, you might feel led to pick up the phone and call somebody, maybe to stop by and see somebody, to give a gift. Okay. I felt led this week, this last week to give a gift to a friend of mine to help raise support for Ukrainian refugees, you know, I just felt like at the, in that moment, um, God's been really good to us, and I thought, you know, I, I can do something, I, we're so blessed, and I'm going to do it. Now, I'm not suggesting that that is on par with God's revelation in the Word of God. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't swear under oath that this is the voice of God who told me that, but it was it was just an, an, uh, an unction, right? Um, and, you know, you learn, the, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you're in His Word, the more you, you, you hopefully learn to, to sense that. Now, sometimes we're wrong, you know? Sometimes we can be manipulated, and I always have to check myself. Am I just feeling bad for these people? Am I just responding to the bloodshed and the poor children crying because their dads are back in, you know? Or is this truly something that the Lord want, would want me to do? And in that case, I felt led to do it. So that's not prophecy in my mind. That is um, not God speaking, you know, from heaven to earth on the same level where we have to get out our pen and add a 67th book to the Bible. Does that make sense? And so that was really more the question that that person was asking. And I absolutely believe the Spirit of God speaks to the heart of man today. We, we see it. He, he convicts, encourages, exhorts, assures. Uh, there's all kinds of ministries of the Holy Spirit that are a different category than true prophetic revelation. Okay, So hopefully that helps answer that question, and, and I'll respond uh, to that person separately. But to the question of prophecy, uh, I don't think in the biblical sense of the word that there are prophets today. Now, there, we have redefined certain words like apostle and prophet and those types of things. And, you know, you, you'll see this in uh, spiritual gift inventories, for example, and other leadership materials. And, and that's fine as long as you understand, okay, I'm using the term prophet in a sense different than what, the way the Bible has it. So I'm not hung up on... You know, I don't, you know, saying you should never use the word prophet. I, I don't have a hang-up. Just like the word disciple, by the way, is never used in the epistles. It's never used after Jesus' uh, ministry except for very early on in Acts. And then when you get to Acts 11, it says the disciples started being called Christians. Uh, 
So, but is it wrong to use the word disciple? Of course not. We 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 understand it to mean a follower of Christ once removed. In its original context, it always meant a follower of Christ physically, geographically, in close proximity while he was on the earth. So all, all that to say, you know, I'm not legalistic or hung up, uh, but there's a whole class of people that use the term prophet, meaning they feel like God has supernaturally appointed them, set them apart. They have a direct line that's outside of Scripture, and God reveals things to them that he doesn't reveal to everybody else, and then they can speak with authority, thus saith the Lord. And I'm just telling you, that category doesn't exist in the Bible. Um, in fact, if you look... Maybe like the Pope? Well, that's a whole different category because the Pope, the question was about the Pope. The Roman Catholic Church on the very front end says emphatically the Bible is only one of three authorities. It's not their only authority. They, they let you know. We believe the Bible, tradition, and the Pope. <laughs> Are, are, are our authorities. And where the Bible and the Pope contradict, they go with the Pope. And, of course, the Pope changes his mind every 100, 200, 300 years. You know? But anyway, um, if you look at 1 Corinthians, is that right? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, in the context of spiritual gifts and the local church and the, the efficacy of gifts and how they're used to, for the uh, betterment of the church, uh, says quite plainly in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, um, love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. It's just three ways of saying the same thing and basically saying that prophecies and a few other things that he say there will end. Um, I believe that the, those revelatory uh, abilities ended when the Bible was complete, when that which is perfect has come. Now, that which is perfect cannot refer to Christ because of the gender of the, the word in Greek. It's got to agree, and it's a neuter. So that which is perfect can't refer to Christ. It refers to the completion of the word, I believe. But I wouldn't hang my hat on that interpretation of that verse. I think it's just self-evident that God, uh, for a period of 1,500 years, chose to unveil himself. Remember, the Bible is God's way of saying, here I am, look at me. So God unveiled himself to mankind through the written word. And once he had told us everything we need to know, he said, now you've got this word. And, and we, the Bible itself and the New Testament claims that everything we need for life and godliness is in here. It says all scripture, meaning the written word of God. Scripture is the word graphe, meaning writings, where we get the word graffiti, writings. So all Scripture is profitable and God-breathed. So you get no indication in Scripture that God is perpetually and continually giving new information. And you can understand, even if we didn't have the testimony of Scripture about that, logically why that would be a problem. Because if God is constantly revealing new things, then... How can we ever count on what he's already said? Maybe he's going to change it, right? So we can take this to the bank. This is his self-revelation to mankind. So I don't believe, and I think the Bible teaches, that there are, that there, I don't believe there are prophets today in the sense that the Bible uses them. If someone is using the term prophet to mean a good speaker or a uh, someone who has just a, a, a unique ability to... Uh, 
correct or rebuke, you know, is that, that fine. That, that, I wouldn't use the word prophet, but if that's what you mean by it, fine. But if you think that a prophet today exists who can have a direct line to God outside of Scripture and give us authoritative revelation, I would disagree with that. Yeah. Versus you just go about your normal conversation and you just encourage somebody rather than have to preface it with this stuff. Yeah, that, that language of I have a word of knowledge is the comment you made or uh, I'm going to prophesy over you is the other comment you made. That language, again, is born out of a, a tradition that believes there is new revelation today outside of the Word of God and that God supernaturally endows certain people with the ability to receive that information. Now, um, I, I think you should be very careful about that. And uh, I, again, I base my viewpoint on what I understand Scripture to be saying, but anecdotally, I mean, I can tell you a lot of hor horrific stories. You know, my best friend uh, growing up, his dad was uh, a pa one of the pastors at our church where I attended when I was in high school. Um, he... Uh, it was a real mentor of mine. He's with the Lord now, but my, but he had a daughter, my friend's sister, uh, who died young, and another staff member of the church who came from that perspective, uh, went to my friend's mom and dad and said, "The Lord gave me a word that if you had had more faith, your daughter would still be alive." You know? I mean, that kind of stuff is just, it can really be painful. Um, and so, you know, I feel like we, we've got to run everything we teach through the Word of God. Now, in, in practice, what about the situation where maybe you're feeling burdened for somebody, you're praying for somebody, and, and they're always on your mind, and as you're reading the Bible, a verse that you come across jumps off the page, and you think, wow, I think that verse, you know, could really be meaningful to them or I feel like the Lord or the Holy Spirit would have me share that verse with them and so you call them up or send them an email or a text and you give them that verse at the end of the day as long as you understand it correctly you know the language isn't that you know God will forgive our poor use of language right um, so I've even said you know the Lord gave me a verse for you right or the Lord put a verse on my heart that I wanted to pass along to you I don't mean by that God opened up the canon of Scripture and bellowed out from heaven to earth and I was his sole recipient of this new revelation out of 7.5 billion people and this is coming directly from God. That, that's not what I mean. Now, I've trained myself over the years to try not to use sloppy language like that. And so, um, I mean, for what it's worth, you can you can cover a multitude of sloppy language by just blaming it on the Holy Spirit, right? Just say, the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. And I, I don't mean to make light of that, but I mean, that's true. The Holy Spirit permanently indwells us. He leads, He guides, He encourages, He rebukes, He exhorts, He convicts, He does the ministries that the New Testament says that He has. And, you know, do we sometimes confuse the voice of the Holy Spirit with the voice of the flesh? Absolutely. Paul talks about that struggle. 
you know, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5. So all of us are guilty at times of uh, taking something that is in our flesh. And remember, flesh doesn't just mean, you know, sensual, perverted, you know, that type of, in the scripture, flesh just means anything that's not of the spirit. So sometimes we do something for other motives and we might want to ascribe it to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life and we might not be right but it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't lead just because we get it wrong sometimes yeah real quickly then can we assume that there are no false prophecies in scripture yeah absolutely well from God can we assume that there are no false prophecies in scripture the Bible gives plenty of examples Old and New Testament of false prophets who falsely prophesied and you know paid the price but god never gives a false prophecy is that what you meant like are you saying how do you how do you how do you distinguish between the false prophets and the, and the godly prophets? how do you distinguish between the false prophets and the godly God, context so in historical narratives like first second kings first and chronicles even in, in the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, yeah, Deuteronomy, uh, uh, you'll see examples of that. Certainly in Acts, you see examples of that. Um, and so context will make it clear that this is a false prophecy. Um, but God, when God speaks, God cannot lie. He's immutable. You can take it to the bank. So, Yeah. Spirit, but this blown up that is all about the Holy Spirit, and that's pretty much yeah. it. It's, it becomes very emotional, um, and not you know you're, you're looking at Scripture. It, it's more of just this feeling and emotion, and that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It, so it, it the comment is there's there's a whole movement out there that seems to be much more emotional, and it's all about the Holy Spirit, overemphasizing the Holy Spirit. Uh, these people that say, you know, I have this word of knowledge, I have this and that. So I mentioned, I don't remember what service it was in, whether it was Wednesday night or one of the Sunday ones, but the good paradigm to remember for a healthy church as it relates to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And if you recall, if you were here that Sunday or whenever it was, a church that overemphasizes the Spirit and underemphasizes the empirical word will blow up a church that overemphasizes the word and neglects the ministry of the spirit will dry up but a church with the right balance will grow up and so i think that really cuts right to the chase it's about balance so the holy spirit is never going to act or lead or direct in a manner that is inconsistent with the word of god um and, and yet, I think those who tend to uh, be not from that emotional framework and group uh, tend to maybe go too far the other direction. Uh, and uh, I had a, a Greek professor, of all things, uh, my first 
year at Dallas Seminary, my first time in seminary, my very first exposure to Greek. You know, a lot of guys go to seminary from a Bible college where they've already had some Greek and Hebrew. I didn't. I went to a Christian liberal arts school and majored in PE and Spanish. So that didn't really help me. I guess Spanish might have helped me a little bit with Greek. But uh, so I was all new to me. And this guy was, his name was Daniel Wallace. Uh, he's, he's one of the premier scholars of our day. Uh, and he was the toughest, but I just, I didn't know any better. It was basically, you know, when you sign up for classes, you pick what works for your schedule. And then when I told my friends, hey, I'm taking Dan Wallace, they got this look on their face like, you are dumb. <laughs> but anyway, I muddled my way through it. And, uh, but you can't get more analytical than a language scholar, right? I mean, this guy, and he's a dispensationalist and, you know, solid, literal, grammatical, historical guy. But he wrote an article years ago uh, in Christianity Today, and I'm not endorsing that magazine. I think it's sold out, but back in the day, it wasn't so bad. Uh, and it was called, Who's Afraid of the Holy Spirit? And in it, it was basically, you know, I don't remember the subtitle, but if I had given it a subtitle, it would have been something like Confessions of a One-Time Cessationist, you know, because cessationism is the, the dispensational view that there are some gifts of the Spirit that were transitional in nature and kind of died out as the Word of God was complete. doesn't mean that those ministries died out. God still heals. God still, you know, does miracles and so forth. But no longer is someone endowed with the perfect ability to heal. If they did, they should just go up to M.D. Anderson or uh, what's the one in uh, Minnesota? Uh, Mayo. And just walk up and down the halls and heal a bunch of people, right? So, but what's interesting is his article was born out of a life crisis. He had a son that got diagnosed with a serious disease, and it really challenged his faith. And he began to, to fall in love with the Holy Spirit all over again and realize there is a spirit. So I think we don't want to go to either extreme. We want to be true to the Word. We want to study it. We want to be studied it correctly like we're doing in this, learning how to do in this series. But at the same time, the Spirit of God is alive and well, and He does amazing things. Miracles happen. Revivals break out. Just read books about experiences from the mission field. You could probably tell us some stories. And so Spirit of God is alive and well, but we just want to be careful about this subjective sense of, you know, I was meditating in my closet and God, you know, supernaturally revealed to me X, Y, Z. And then we go tell everybody because, you know, you need to have a, a, a modicum of humility and couch it in a sense of, you know what, I just have this sense. I have this sense that something else is really going on here. Um, and I believe the, the uh, Spirit of God moves in that way. And I, I've talked about this before, even in the sense of intuition. I think that's a biblical thing. Uh, it's the way God made us. You ever been walking, uh, you know, down the street or a sidewalk or something and you didn't hear anything you didn't see anything but you just had a sense that someone was behind you when for the last 10 minutes no one had been in sight and you turn around and oh sure enough there's a guy there walking his dog wonder where he came from right well what caused you to turn around right there's a certain scent women have a particular intuition they can sense things i've talked about this before where uh, Wendy at times has has said, you know what, I just have a bad feeling about this person or this thing or this decision. And, uh, you know, in my younger days, you know, when I knew everything, 
I was, oh, no, come on, you're just crazy. You know, it's not, there's nothing wrong here. And turned out she was right, you know. So I've learned uh, that, you know, to take seriously when, when she says something. And same, not, not just women, men too can have a real sense. I just don't feel right about this. What, what is that? Let's go to Sally first because I like her better. So. <laughs> Yeah, so the comment is, I don't personally believe in psychics, but I remember reading somewhere in Scripture with a, where a person sought, with God's endorsement, advice from a psychic. Yeah, probably talking about Gamaliel or something like that in Acts. So God certainly can direct people to get advice from you know, a donkey if he wants to, right? That's God's prerogative. This goes back to that census plenty or thing. Um, but to, to more... so. We have to define what we mean by psychic, right? There are uh, psychics that are satanic, whether they realize it or not. Um, and then there are also back in the first century when the Bible was still being written and God was still speaking through apostles and other revelatory means, God could supernaturally endow a particular person to give a word from God, right? Because that's how he did it back then. He doesn't do that today. Um, so, but as a side note about psychics, we need to understand that, you know, Satan in, in this cosmic struggle between, you know, the Luciferians and their conspiracy to take over the world and God, the creator, who's going to ultimately take over the world through Christ when he takes the throne, they, they do use all kinds of evil and satanic tools that would fall under the broad heading of psychics or psychiatry uh, including drugs and potions. That's what the word pharmakeia means. Anytime you see the word sorcery, it's the word pharmakeia. And in Revelation 19, we read that during the, the reign of the Antichrist, that seven-year uh, reign of terror, he's going to use pharmakeia, sorcery, drugs, to control the world. So, uh, and I believe he's doing, doing that already. Um, so, I would stay away from psychics. Obviously, I know you, like you said, you started your question with, I don't believe in it, and I think that's right. But we, we need to understand that everything happens in a context. Back in the first century, when the Bible was still being unveiled by God through the pen of you know Paul and Peter and James, uh, God used certain prophets, uh, and, uh, and, I, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But today, uh, there are no modern day prophets who have a direct line to God that, that can say thus saith the Lord right yeah from this discussion about false prophets what do we know is real and not real and in the end times there'll be wonders performed how do we know it's not truly a miracle from yeah. God which leads me to this, the gift of discernment and yeah we may not all have the same power to be able to discern truth from fiction, but if we do filter it through Scripture, that's the answer, but we need to know the Scriptures. You said it. Yeah, the Word of God has to be the filter. Let's see if I still have that chart up here. 
through which we funnel all truth claims. You know, it, everything has to run through the grid of Scripture to validate or invalidate truth claims. I don't think I do, but that's fine. You can picture it. So, um, but you know, your 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 comment about signs and wonders in the end times that that's a whole other category because when the present church age ends and we move into God's final stages of this cosmic struggle between God and Satan for that seven-year period, then we are going to have new revelation. God's going to be speaking directly from heaven to earth. We're going to have angelic messengers sharing the gospel from the heavenlies. We're going to have all kinds of atypical things that are not normative today. It'll be similar to what we saw in the first century uh, in, on, in, in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Um, so the, it's, it's more a factor of what's normative, meaning uh, customary, common, regular, versus what's the exception. And if you remember, when, when all of that happened on the day of Pentecost, when people began to speak in other languages that they never studied, and the Holy Spirit descends in a manner that made it look like cloven tongues of fire, people were really freaked out, and Peter said, look, you know, you shouldn't be freaked out about this because Joel the prophet predicts that in the end times, the same kinds of things are going to happen. And he's talking about in conjunction with the second coming of Christ. Um, so, and then we see several uh, things happen in the early days of the church. We see people getting healed by walking in the shadows of the apostles or touching their handkerchief. I, I may be conflating two stories, but things like that. Um, that doesn't mean that can't happen today, by the way. That's what I mean about normative versus the exception. There are, God can do anything he wants, you know. Uh, if God chooses to um, break the normal rules of science and physics and logic to, like, make the sun stand still for a day, for, he can do that. Um, but we don't want to assume that God has supernaturally endowed certain individuals as if they are superheroes who can run around and just be healing people, you know, all constantly. Um, can God heal people? Absolutely. He does it every day. We've all experienced it. Could God use an individual to heal somebody? He could in an isolated case. But does that mean that that person has the gift of healing? No, not the way the Bible describes it, because if they did, they would always be healing people, right? So not everybody's intended to be healed. Uh, not Miracles are not always normative, but God could certainly uh, do things, and, and He has. We see sometimes the realm of the unseen breaks through both on the evil Luciferian side and the angelic godly side, the realm of time, space, and matter, and we get a glimpse of things happening that are not normative. It's just during that future time of signs and wonders um, it's going to be more prevalent. Now I want to come back in a minute to your comment about discernment and because that's really the essence of what you're asking about. But I want to, let's go here and then back here. So these guys today, I don't know, reference to, for instances, I'm a prophet and COVID's not real and it's not for probably the last three weeks. I'm a prophet and I heard, I got these dreams about Trump and whatever. Are they being used as the Or are they just one of your two categories of fraud or misled? 
So when people are saying, you know, I have a dream about Trump or I have a dream of a vision about COVID and here's the real deal, are they just a fraud or are they misled, just mis or are misled? They actually being used as the enemy as an antithesis to, pro to biblical prophecy? Well, I would, or, or are they actually, I'm just repeating for yeah. the, or are they actually being used of the enemy? I would say in both cases they're being used of the enemy, right, um, whether they realize it or not. But if someone is going to stand up and say, in all earnestness, because they really believe this, I had a, a dream. Back during the early days of COVID, I was watching pretty regularly one guy on YouTube, I forget his name, who claimed to be having these dreams. And he was fairly uh, rational about it. Like he wasn't up there claiming this is from God and here's what it means. And he was just saying, look, I'm having these dreams. I'm not sure what to make of them, but I'm just going to pass them on. Uh, but it was really interesting to kind of to see and see parallels and stuff. And dreams is another whole subject I'd love to talk about. I think as we go through Acts, I'll probably get to some of that because there's a lot of dreams in Acts. But, but the point is, absolutely, the devil, I think, uses people who, uh, whether they realize it or not, are disseminating misinformation. Because remember, the devil is, is God's not the author of confusion, so by extension that means the devil is and so if he can promote all these things that aren't anchored through the text going back to gary's comment about discernment then that then it just leads people into confusion you know so i think that the devil definitely uses this uh, it goes to the the lack of certainty today the lack of absolute truth the sense that anything goes so people can come up with all kinds of things that only serve the enemy's purpose of distraction. So, uh, and by the way, a dream about Trump, I would call that a nightmare. But anyway, <laughs> back back here. So was Muhammad a prophet or a false prophet? He was a false prophet. The question about Muhammad. So Muhammad was clearly a, a false prophet, you know, uh, speaking lies and speaking, you know, if you read the Quran, it's full of self-contradictions and... Um, but yeah, he would be at one example throughout history of, you know, you know Baal and Moloch and um, uh, you know other Greek and Roman pan pantheon gods. Yeah, so he was definitely a, a false prophet. Do you agree? Indeed. Yeah, yeah, no question. So now probably just someone's going to stumble on this podcast and put a price on my head or something but I mean, probably wouldn't be the first time um, but so back to what Gary was really getting at and correct me if I'm wrong is you know we got to use the word of God to be able to uh, interpret and evaluate and validate these claims and um, the gift of discernment though is one of those gifts that in my understanding of scripture was was part of the revelatory nature in the first century god supernaturally endowed some people with the ability to identify truth from lies coming from other people so and, and that was needed because we didn't have the full counsel of god and so you know some people had that ability, and God gave them that. The same thing with interpretation of tongues, or tongues, or word of knowledge, or prophecy. So, but that doesn't mean that the biblical principle of discernment isn't taught throughout Scripture, and 
separate from the gift of discernment. Um, and, and that's something that all believers should have. And how do we have that? By, as you said, getting in the Word of God, hiding the Word of God in our heart, being able to, through the interaction with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, being able to think about certain verses when we hear something and think, oh, that's not right because the Bible says this, right? And there are some people that I think are better at that than others. But I don't think that means they have the gift of the spirit uh, of discernment uh, the way the Bible delineates it in the four passages, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, or 12, Romans 12, and, and 1 Peter 4. So I know it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but I, I mean, I think if you look... If you look at it closely in Scripture, you'll understand kind of why I landed at where I did. That, you know, we can definitively say God's not giving new revelation today, but we can also definitively say the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, leads and guides people today. you got to have a category for both. It gets a little blurry sometimes, I get it, especially because we use language that we shouldn't. You know, uh, the Lord gave me a message for you today. So every preacher in the world stood up and started a message that way one time or another. Here's what the Lord told me to tell you today. Well, did he really do that, right? Uh, we don't mean God opened up the canon and gave us a direct line, you know, woo, here planted words in our mind that are on par with Scripture. What we really mean is that as I was praying and seeking direction from the Lord on how to, what to preach and what to say, um, this is what I felt led to say, you know. Uh, so that, that So a lot of it's semantics, but there clearly is a category of, true revelation from God and it's contained right here and then there's clearly a category of the Spirit's leading and unction and I know again it sounds like we're splitting hairs but it's important to keep those two categories in mind otherwise you end up closing off the role of the Holy Spirit in your life you know uh, and become stale and cold and not sensitive to especially in these latter days this spiritual warfare that's going on and so forth uh, and, and and but at the same time you don't want to become so emotional or so like you the people you were talking about that you forget well we do have a remedy here we do have the answers here we just need to kind of interpret it through scripture so i hope i'm you know clarifying that I, that's the reason i love to speak in you know churches that um even though they may go a little too far that way. It's refreshing. It really is. The, the verse, you know, versus the other extreme, you know. And so I, uh, what really opened my eyes to the reality of the Spirit's work, because I was, uh, I was definitely more off the charts, kind of analytical and in intellectually minded, and it's all about the. the syntax and grammar and the words on the page and and it was not until i awakened to the whole luciferian conspiracy which i've now spent 15 years studying and writing about that i began to realize there is a whole unseen realm it has a bad side but it has a good side and the bible talks about both and let's let's run it all through the grid of scripture so does that make sense or is everybody thoroughly confused now oh, poor sally's yeah, yes I'm, I'm confused <laughs> So help help me uh, do better at trying to clarify. What is it that kind of has got you a little puzzled? Can you put it in words? Well, when you speak of discernment, I mean, I, 
just telling me to contact you. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and then I feel guilty if I don't. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I and I tell myself, well, I didn't really feel that. You know, that, that's just me. Nobody's telling me to do that. Yeah. It's just me. Um, my nature to try to reach out by faith to my friends. And uh, so it gets it gets. Yeah, so I'm going to try to summarize what you said because it's really insightful that, you know, sometimes, you know, you feel like the Lord or the Spirit is telling you to reach out to someone and for whatever reason you don't, and then later you feel guilty, and so then you try to rationalize it by saying, well, that wasn't really the Spirit, maybe that was just me, right? You just described, you know, a very common experience, I think, that we all have, and uh, and I think, you know, a better word than maybe discernment that might help us clarify what we're talking about here is just think of the think of it in terms of of uh, wisdom that the more we study the word of god and the more uh, understanding we have about the bible in other words the more biblically literate we are right then the more ammunition the holy spirit has within our hearts to help lead and guide us so for example proverbs which we're going to talk about uh in this series um has a lot of just really good nuggets of wisdom that apply to very unique narrow situations in life and if you have never read that or don't remember it then a situation might arise and it just passes right by right because you didn't think about it but if you've got a lot of biblical wisdom and you're a student of the word and you're in the word of god then when those situations arise, uh, you're going you're gonna to tend to be uh, responsive. So it's not about this subjective, mystical, is this God prompting me or not? It's more of wisdom. And by the way, God's grace is sufficient, absolutely. So if there are times when we had a feeling, that, or an unction that we should go talk to someone and we didn't, and later we feel guilty, you know, don't dwell there. Let Confess it to the Lord, Lord, I, I probably should have said something. I, I, you put it in my mind, and I didn't, but give me another opportunity. Be more alert to it next time. Yeah, help me be more alert to it next time, or, or give me another opportunity. You know, God's grace is sufficient. So, uh, but I find that the people that are out of the Word of God, not studying it regularly, not in a, involved in a Bible-teaching church and so forth, are the ones that probably more often than not do turn a deaf ear to that stuff. And, and so... You know, we just have to be sensitive. But I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not about a mystical goosebump type feeling. It, it's, it's being obedient when the Spirit of God tells you to do something and letting Him, you know, take it from there. Um, you know, sometimes we do think, you know, here's one way that you can kind of gauge whether this was the flesh or the Spirit is if you feel led to do something or an idea in your mind is planted to do something and you do it and then you sort of sit back really eagerly waiting to see the result response and you know are they going to respond to my email or is there uh, you know whatever well that might be an indication that maybe it was just in your flesh but if it's really of the spirit when you do something you're going to be like i did it lord it's in your hands and whether i ever know this side of glory what the results of that action that i took are that's fine i don't need to know you know and, and so i think there's there's uh 
something to be said for motive and recognizing you know why you do what you, what you do but but this has been uh, I think a really a constructive discussion all along the lines of this idea of prophecy because um, we've got to have we've got to have a true north we've got to have something tethered to a an absolute standard and that's the word of God and when you go all nilly-willy with prophecy today, like so many people do, like you were talking about, even if they mean well, you know, I think, frankly, those from a more charismatic perspective, using that term as a theological category, tend to be some of the nicest, most sincere. I mean, we have dear friends, two dear friends that we haven't, we finally lost touch with them, which is probably a good thing. I don't know, but I'd love to hear from them again. But for, we met them one time on a, a cruise. Um, and by the way, if they happen to be following Not By Works, call me. Um, uh, or My number's on the website. I've changed numbers a few times since we last connected. But we met them on a cruise uh, where I was doing some teaching, and they are from Canada. And they, we exchanged numbers. Well, sure enough, they called us. And very unusual couple. I've often wondered if they might even be angels because they just really... Like they didn't seem to have a job or lives or they just could travel the world. So they just traveled to the United States going to different things. So they came and visited us in Illinois and the mountains and other places. And But very charismatic. And they always would pray over us. They would try to encourage us to speak in tongues. They would give us a word from the Lord. By the way, one time the lady felt, she said, I just feel like I need to tell you this. And she told Wendy something that turned out to be true, you know. So she may have classified it as a word from God. Maybe it was just the Spirit of God using her as a conduit to warn Wendy of something. Who, who knows? We'll find all this out when we get to heaven. But what I'm saying is we love those people, disagree with them on a lot of stuff. And I think what finally was our undoing was he was a huge Trump fan, and I had you know quite a big blow-up with him one time about it, and I haven't heard from him since. But anyway, I love him to death. And there's their genuine people they love jesus they love his word they just don't connect the dots the way i feel like you know they should be connected yeah for a, a good story about a true man of god a true prophet being led astray by a false prophet first kings 13 is a great story first kings 13 is a good example of a man of god being led astray by a false uh, prophet and so uh, Jeroboam, right? Yep. Yeah, the King Jeroboam. Mm -hmm. So we're all susceptible to that, um, and that's why we do have to be sensitive to it. Uh, we can use the word, the English word discernment. We just need to understand that people that have an apparent uh, greater degree of discernment than others, it doesn't mean they're supernaturally gifted with some spiritual gift. It just means that through wisdom, through studying the Word, they have, you know, learned to recognize pitfalls before you step in them. And so I, I see discernment as a very much a corollary to wisdom. Um, and uh, we use the term discernment that way. You ought, to, you ought to seek counsel. If you're making a wise decision, a big decision, go talk to people who've been there before, right, and see what they have uh, to say about it. So, yeah. I just recently come across a new Yeah, word of faith, uh, 
is new to you, but it's by no means new. So it was a big back in the 80s. And a good friend of mine wrote his dissertation on the Word of Faith movement back in the 90s. Um, so yeah, very much a, a charismatic perspective. Again, of it all comes down to, do you believe there is a conduit where God speaks directly revelatory to man? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yep. Yep. Which they take those passages out of Scripture that that use that phrase. So, yeah. Do you see that some of this charismatic or some of this more emotional stuff is how people view the kingdom? Kind of the kingdom now. Yeah. Thinking versus, you know, free trip and and all of this is. So the question is, is there a correlation between the kingdom now perspective that there's no future for national Israel and that, you know, their view of there's no rapture and all that and this emotional sort of charismatic thing? Um, there is a correlation, but maybe I don't think it's the emotional ism. Yeah. And Jesus comes when he's coming. Now that part, it, you know, people calling down things and, you know, declaring it. But the kingdom now approach that that I thought you were talking about is those who think that they're, they're all millennial. They think we're in the kingdom now. The church is the kingdom. That Jesus is reigning spiritually in our hearts, that kind of thing. So the correlation between those two groups, sort of the charismatic word of faith types and the millennial, is not the, the emotionalism. To me, it's their handling of scripture. They both have a bad hermeneutic, a bad Bible study method that leads them to different uh, views. Um, and it goes, in the case of amillennialists, it goes to their spiritualizing the text. In the case of charismatic, it goes to them overemphasizing certain parts of the t text, like Acts and Corinthians, you know. So, well, this is, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you uh, have the final say here, because you always have such profundities that it will bless us all. Oh, great question. Leave it to Jeffrey to bring us back to the topic at hand, right? Uh, which is the types of prophetic fulfillment. Would the returning of Israel to the land be a partial fulfillment? So I don't think so, but some people that are a lot smarter than me will, will tell you yes. So, for example, in, uh, in uh, Ezekiel 37, the dry bones prophecy, I take that as totally future, that when Christ comes back and regathers Israel into the land, that's going to be the beginning of their national regeneration, coming back to life as a nation. Um, so I don't think that 1948 was the beginning of a fulfillment. I think it's a setting of the stage that clearly, in order for there to be an Israel for the Jews to be regathered in when Jesus sends his angels to regather them at his second coming, Matthew 24, Israel has to exist. So when there was no Israel for 1,800 years and all of a sudden after World War II now there's an Israel, that should get our attention and it should make us go, hmm, yeah, maybe God's getting ready to do something. But I would not put it as a partial fulfillment. Um, I think the return to the land is completely future and centered on the return of Christ. That's... That's my view. But then again, what do I know? So, 
All right. Well, let's. Uh, any any other closing thoughts? I don't want to shut you off. We've had two weeks where we couldn't dialogue, so I know we're already a little over time, but that's fine. Any other comments or questions? Okay. Well, let's uh, pick up here again next week. Let me close us in prayer, and uh, we will dismiss. Father, thank you for. Uh, this uh, discussion that we've had tonight, I pray that it was edifying and encouraging, and I just pray that it would drive us to your word even more, knowing that we need your wisdom. We need to, uh, to have that foundation of truth uh, stored up in our minds and use it as a, as a sieve to be able to uh, filter out all of the lies and pretense and uh, false prophecies that are so prevalent today. Uh, dismiss us now with your watch, care, and blessing. Give us uh, safe travels as we head our separate ways. In Jesus' name.